What would you share from your heart in a year that doesn't go the way you wish it did? In a year that things don't go well globally, in a year where things don't go well nationally or locally, in a year when things don't go as you expected even personally, when your expectations are not met, when hopes are dashed, when opportunities change, and when, well, you just don't like the outcome, what would you share about a year like that? I mean, I think for me, when things, when things like this unfold, I, and maybe you, tend to ask the question, where is God? Where is he in the midst of all of this anyways? Or maybe you ask the question a little bit differently. Why is this happening to me? Or maybe you say, why me? Why is this happening to us? Or maybe on the other side of the question of fairness, we ask, why not me? How is this fair? You see, something deep in us grinds against, against injustices we experience. When things go bad, when things go sideways, when things are not as they should be. Something in us wants to make sense of the world. Something in us deeply believes that things should make sense and that someone, somewhere out there, someone should hear us, should hear our complaints and should make it right. There's something at the center of who we are that cries out for justice. Now, when I, when I look back at this year, there are many things that, if, I, if I'm honest, really frustrate me. There are things that frustrate me on behalf of my family, on behalf of my kids, my wife, my parents, my 99-year-old grandpa. I get upset about opportunities that pandemic took away from my kids. One of my boys is just starting high school. The other one is in his last year of high school. It's not fair the pandemic took away their opportunities and experiences. I get worried about my wife being a teacher in a crowded classroom with pandemic happening. I get frustrated that I can't see my parents or my grandpa in person. And I get frustrated that things didn't work out for me as I thought and hoped they would this last year. If I was to share from my heart, I would share about all these frustrations that you and I have with the year 2020. And just a few days ago, we so happily punted it out of, into the recesses of history. And I'm reminded that even though the number has changed to 21, our troubles and worries and frustrations, well, they're still here. And it's interesting to me how in certain times, Life has a tendency to get our undivided attention. Isn't that true? In fact, your story, my story, our story, gets special degree of focus in times of trouble. I mean, sure, we are wired to enjoy the good stuff in life, but it's the bad, the bad situations in life that really strains our memories and emotions. It's even true in how we receive positive and negative feedback. Isn't this true? We can hear a hundred, a thousand positive affirmations. We can get them in person, online, uh, on a card. And certainly we are happy and excited about it. We get hundreds of them. But one negative comment, that's the one that gets lodged deep in the recesses of our minds. We review it. We think about it. We keep wrestling with it. it, it it's that negative one negative take that takes up the room in our mind. And it does it all rent-free. I don't know if your brain is like mine. Probably not. 
probably better for you. But it's the, it's it's even times of holiday and good times and cheer and, and great celebrations. I sometimes have hard time remembering all the details of those really good, exciting moments of my life. But I have no problem remembering the details of the embarrassing, frustrating, and painful events. But I also find it fascinating how it is precisely in those difficult moments of life. It is in those moments that cause me to be more curious and inquisitive. And because of the difficulties of life, we begin to wonder, to search, to ask, and to even yell into what seems to be the void. It is, it is in difficult times in our life uh, when an illness, a job loss, relational fracture, death, or pandemic. It is in these difficult times that we begin to search, to ask. We begin to, well, pray. And even if we're not a praying person, there's something in us that demands answers. There's a search for justice. There's a, there's a yelling for, for meaning. All of these are in fact prayers. Because there's just something about uncertainty that causes us to look up instead of simply looking around. See, friends, when life is spinning out of control, our natural tendency for most of us, I know not all of us, but for most of us, is to go and move in the direction of why. Why is this happening? What's going on? And friends, you know what the search is? This search is a move in the direction to God. Now, I believe that this is why, this is the reason God gets more done in the bumps along the way than in the smooth paved roads of life. God gets way more done in our lives, and I think God gets more done nationally, globally, but I certainly think personally in our hearts in times when things are uncertain than when the times are easy and smooth. The key is where do we look? You see, you learn the most about yourself, and you learn the most about life, and you learn the most about God when times are difficult. That's why it's so important to know where to look. We can look around, we can listen to the unending voices that, that want our attention and they come from all directions, fighting over our attention, yelling over one another and trying to get us to follow them. And I know some of you are, are, who are watching may be thinking, what do you mean by looking up? I don't even know if I believe any of that stuff. Or maybe I used to look up, I used to look up to God and things still didn't turn out the way I wished. And so this seems trite. Or what do you mean by that? And friends, I get those questions. I've been there too. But this is why I love the Bible. It is a, it is a story full of people just like us. People doubting, frustrated, done with God, ashamed, victorious, forgotten, cursed, blessed, confused, forgiven people. The Bible is a record of people messing up over and over and over, encountering disasters, most of which are self-made disasters. And in the midst of all of these disasters, God's care for these faithless, disaster-making people shows up over and over and over. You see, the Bible seems to reveal why we have a natural tendency to seek justice and ask the why questions. See, the Bible seems to say something about our deepest desires to be heard, and seen. It helps us understand why we are frustrated at what life seems to throw our way. So when disasters strike, when roads get bumpy, when the world becomes uncertain and unpredictable, 
When people fail you, you ask why. And you ask, and you ask because something deep in you believes someone somewhere has the answer. And so we ask and we protest and we demand to know, I mean, really, where is God? Where is he when all the trouble arrives? Where is he? Now today, I would love for us to take a look at a piece of teaching in the Bible. But before we just jump in, I think a little bit of background is needed. You see, the reason so many of us don't look up or have left or have not come to the Bible in times of trouble is because we've read it or hear it or have heard it without any context or background. And so we dismiss things believing they are outdated or just pithy statements or unrelatable to us. And certainly, the passage I'm going to address today could come across as one that doesn't really make sense to us if, if we don't know the background or the context of the author. Now, the guy who wrote this passage that we are going to look at in a little bit is Apostle Paul. And I've got to tell you a little bit, a little bit about Paul because knowing who Paul was makes these verses believable. In fact, if I were to get up and simply give you the advice that we we're going to find in these verses, you would write me off. You would say, okay, that's really nice. But you would think, well, he just doesn't know what I'm going through. It would be easy to think, well, he's never seen what I've seen. But through Apostle Paul, through his life, these verses gain credibility. So let me give you a small heads up about Apostle Paul. Paul, once he encountered Jesus, left his life, his training, all the studying that he's doing to be this religious leader, he left it all behind. His pursuit and elevation in the ranks of religious and political standing, he abandoned it. He then goes on to teach people about Jesus, which leads him into a whole bunch of problems. He gets attacked by religious leaders who are offended by what he's teaching. They call for action. They get a whole mob to attack him. They drag him out of the temple. They're about to beat him to death. Well, then somebody calls the police, or which happens to be the Roman guard, and they show up and they pull this, this mob off of Paul and they arrest him basically just to protect him from the mob because they're beating him severely. Well, then these same leaders who caused this mob, they, they take all these charges to the Romans and they say, you've got to get this guy out of here. He's broken the law. He's offended God, which then makes the Romans beat Paul again. But then they realize he's a citizen of Rome which is kind of a big deal. So then through a bunch of different circumstances, they decide to send him to Rome for trial. They charge him on, the, on charges that these leaders just made up. So now Paul is under arrest and they put him on a ship to go to Rome. And while he's on the ship, a storm comes. And for two weeks, they're lost at sea. Then the storm washes them ashore and they're shipwrecked. And they're shipwrecked for three months. And he's chained to a Roman guard and he's shipwrecked. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that's not great for him. And finally he gets to Rome and he's imprisoned in a home. And he's so far down the list of the, of, the, of the court cases that he has to wait like two years for the trial. So in this two years, he is imprisoned. And while he's imprisoned, he begins writing letters to all of these churches that he has planted throughout Europe. So Paul knows hardship. Doing the right thing and looking up actually brought him more trouble and pain. So this letter that we're going to read, we find in the book of Philippians. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote while in prison. 
So this is why these verses that we're going to talk about are so significant, because he's writing them from prison. What he's about to say seems unreasonable, but you can't argue because Paul, the source of this, of this letter, knows pain, knows difficulty, and no matter how bad you think you have it, Paul's background suggests he gets it. He's in a bad place. So Paul, the author in prison, writes to a local church in Philippi, and we read, Rejoice in the Lord always. To which we obviously say, okay, wait a minute, Paul. You don't understand what's going on in my life. How can you even just suggest rejoice? But on top of it, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. How do you do that? How do you rejoice always? So to help us understand that, let me kind of help you understand what I think Paul means here. If I were to take out in the Lord and put in something else, you would then totally get this, right? What if I said, rejoice in your new job? Rejoice in the fact that she forgives you. Well, that would be awesome. We get that kind of rejoicing. Rejoice in your new car. Rejoice in the fact that you are engaged. Rejoice in your scholarship. Rejoice in the fact that you were sick, but you got better. Rejoice in the fact that you made the team. Now, all of us know what it means to rejoice in something. Rejoice when our kids tell us they love us. We know what it means to rejoice with some things. But how do we rejoice always? What is Apostle Paul talking about? How do we rejoice when things are going bad? How can I rejoice in this lockdown? And just a side note, I believe the reason we in the West, well, in Canada for sure, are so rattled by things going bad for us is because we, I, don't often rejoice in the right things. Yes, us Christians don't rejoice in God. We don't rejoice in the right things because, because we have so many other things to rejoice in. So that's just a side. So Paul says, okay, even though I'm in prison, even though things aren't going so well for me, even when things are not going well for you, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, implication here, don't let hard times begin to erode your integrity, your gentleness, and your character. Don't allow your fuse to get so short because things are so um, tough that you begin to destroy the relationships with the people you have around you. Yes, things are tough, but if your joy is only associated with good times, and if your joy is only associated with good circumstances, then as those circumstances erode, so will your character. And you will become short-tempered and you'll become more difficult to live with. Now, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That in spite of all the circumstances, there should be something unique about the way you treat people. And again, for most of us, our kindness is the result of our circumstance. Isn't that true? When life is kind to me, I'll be kind to others. But when life is unkind to me, I use that as an excuse to be unkind to the people around me. Paul says, come on. You don't want to allow something you have no control over, your circumstances, to take control over your character. So friends, when things didn't go well for me this year, when pandemic hit, the temptation was, the temptation is, to be bitter, to be petty, to be destructive. 
And maybe that's just me. But I'm guessing many of us had these temptations this past year. And so I love how Eugene Peterson translates this part of the letter to counter our temptations in times of trouble. He says it this way, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. You see, the counter to the temptation to be bitter and petty and destructive, the counter to the temptation that I was feeling is to make it clear to all you meet that you're on their side. So why should I be on people's side? Why should I rejoice when trouble arrives? Because, and this is so huge, and this is why we cry out into the void. This is why we seek justice. This is why we hope someone hears and sees us in times of trouble. Because we read, as we continue, the Lord is near. Oh, man. Because when trouble arrives, when injustice arrives, when uncertainty arrives, God is actually near. He is there in our suffering, in our pain, in our frustrations uh, with others or at the world. God is never closer than when we cry out for help. The Bible reminds us over and over and over that God hears the cries of the oppressed. In other words, God is never as close to us as in times of trouble. Friends, there's this awesome, amazing line in the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is a story of the life of Mr. Rogers. Now, in this particular scene, Mr. Rogers is visiting a dying man. And there's this scene which looks like Mr. Rogers is praying for the man. When he's done and he leaves, his friend Tom asks him, what, what, did you, what did you pray about? What did you pray for him? And Mr. Rogers answers him. He says, oh heavens no, Tom. I didn't ask for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through the challenges like that must be very close to God. Isn't this it? God is never as close to us as in the time of trouble. The Lord is near. Now, Apostle Paul continues, so because God is near, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious or stressed or distracted by your emotions. Why? Well, friends, because God is near. He's so close to us in the time of trouble. So Apostle Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But he's smart enough to know that you can't just leave it there. That there has to be more. There has to, it has to help us understand how. So the next two verses, he gives us the secret to handling difficult times without allowing the difficult times to control us. So in the next few verses, he gives us simply a solution or maybe a prescription for what to do during times of extraordinary anxiety. In times when things are so uncertain, and so unpredictable that we tend to close ourselves off and go deep inside of ourselves when we can get bitter, petty, and destructive, when we can be in danger of allowing our character to erode, Apostle Paul gives us a prescription. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, in marriage situations, in job situations, in school situations, in friendship situations, in rooms, roommate situations, in pandemic situations. In other words, Paul says, 
what I'm about to share with you is appropriate and can be applied in every single situation. In other words, every time you're overwhelmed with anxiety, every time you're overwhelmed with worry, every time you just start to go under because of the circumstances, here's what I want you to do instead. I'm not simply saying don't worry about it. I'm saying don't worry about it and do this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Why? Well, because he's near. He's near us. Now, if you read this verse this way, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. And that's it. If that's the only way you read it, you actually miss the meaning of this verse. But that is how most of us actually read it, right? And then we get frustrated because we say, well, I have prayed. But I want you to look at this verse again. It says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and here's the word I want us to kind of focus on, present, which literally means make known or reveal. What Paul is saying is, I don't want you to pray like, God, please help me find a parking spot. I mean, that's fine to pray that way. It's a start. I, I, I believe God hears those prayers. Uh, it's a good way to start. But what Paul, Apostle Paul is unpacking for us is something way bigger here. He says, make it known, present it, reveal your desires, your core, the core of your heart to God. He's near. Let him in on your hopes. Let him in on your frustrations. Let him know how you feel. Let God in on what is behind your frustrations. Let God in on your true fears. Because times of uncertainty, time of trouble, these times, they surface our deepest insecurities. In time of uncertainty, it loosens up and begins to bring to the surface our greatest fears. So Apostle Paul says, I want you to pray and petition and make your heart known to God. I want you to reveal to God. Maybe something you have never revealed before because perhaps it is only now beginning to surface because of the time of trouble and uncertainty. And uncertainty has a way of doing that. Because uncertainty surfaces our deepest insecurities and our hidden values. When I move past, help me get a job, God. Help me sell a house. Help me close a deal. When I move past all that, what is behind all those legitimate requests? What is behind them? That comes to the surface. Paul says, pray, petition, present, make it known, reveal. And when you do, when you unpack, unpack the depths of your heart's desires, then, Paul says, then, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, not superficial peace that we feel when the, when the day went okay, but the peace of God that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard the center of who you are. When you present your hearts and your desires and reveal them to God, 
He provides peace. And guard, friends, means to stand watch over something. So God will stand watch over your heart and your mind. When things get bad, God can do more in you, in me. Because when we begin to look up, when we begin to pray and petition, God will guard, stand watch over our hearts. What Paul is saying is this, that in times of uncertainty, in times of trouble, we are to pray and petition and present to God until his peace comes. Now, we know that trouble will always arrive. We know this. We know that the world isn't as it should be. So we cry out. We are outraged. We want, we want justice and equality. We are mad at disease and death. And so we cry out. And because we were designed to be heard and seen, Paul reminds us that not only is God near, if you invite him, he will stand and watch over your hearts and over your minds, over the centers and cores of who you are. God is near. So today, friends, from my heart, Apostle Paul has challenged me in this new year to pray and petition to bring my anxieties, my worries, and my frustrations to him. Because he's near. And when I and you do this, when we bring our prayers and petitions to God, the world and its troubles may not change. But what will happen is that I and you will change. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. I learned that prayer isn't about changing God. Prayer is about changing me. When we pray and petition and present and reveal, make our hearts known, God gives us peace, which changes us forever. It transforms and changes our temptation to be angry, petty, bitter, destructive. It changes us. So pray and petition and present. Reveal your desires to God and God will give you peace. I would like to do something together today. I want to give you an opportunity to pray for God to take guard of your heart, to stand watch over your heart so that you could have peace. I want to give you an, uh, an opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart. And you can just repeat after me and you can say it in your own words or you can just follow after me, but it's really an invitation for God to guard our heart. It's really a petition. It's really letting God know who we are. So it's, would you say this with me? Jesus, God, I need you to help me. I believe that you are near. Would you take charge of my heart? Would you stand over it? Because I need, oh, I need your peace. Would you save me? Would you be the Lord of my life? Amen. Now, friends, if you prayed with us, would you just let us know in the chat? Would you email us? Let's walk together. Let's journey together in this prayer. So please let us know. Because when life is uncertain, one thing we know, God is not. So let me conclude our time together by just reading our passage again, but just in a different translation to give us a little bit different, not spin, but different meaning to it. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness 
everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Let's pray, friends. God, we thank you, first and foremost, that you are near, that you are so close. And we thank you that you want us to come with our open hearts, with all the desires and frustrations and uncertainties. You want to present them to you. And that, God, that you're willing to give us peace over all these things. Father, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for you. We thank you for being the Lord of our lives. God, help us as we deal with uncertain times. Help us to know you and help us to present ourselves to you. Thank you, God, for your love. We praise in your name. Amen.